Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Hi, Global Investors. Before we get started with today's episode, are you looking to finance your U.S. real estate investment as a foreign investor? Contact UniversalCommercialCapital.com. They do not require any credit history, employment, income verification, or permanent residency status. All you need to have is the minimum 35% down payment in a U.S. banking institution for two months. Rates start at 6% with a 30-year term. The whole approval process can be completed in 30 days. Call 888 888- 334-9039 or email them at info at universalcommercialcapital.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today we have Christopher Salerno. Chris is the founder of QC Capital. He is a multifamily real estate syndicator who controls 360 units in the Carolinas worth over $40 million, all within the last 12 months. Chris also hosts the Mindful Multifamily Podcast. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be on and add value to all your listeners. Awesome. That's what we like to hear. Um, so, Chris, what's, what's your background prior to starting your, your current company, QC Capital? Yeah, I love being asked this question um, because I grew up in the, uh, basically in a real estate family. Uh, I, my father was a broker in the state of Florida, and I always, for some reason, had a passion for real estate because it's always different. So my background was single family real estate sales. Um, from there, very quickly grew a, a large or grew a decent sized team, which then I merged my team uh, with the number one team in the Carolinas and really fell into their operational role. Um, and I was able to make them 46% profitable in one year compared to their three years. Of just being stagnant with no growth. And then that's when I felt like I hit my ceiling and I said, I need to start studying commercial. And that's when I fell in love with multifamily investing. So, how did you choose uh, real estate like for your investment vehicle, not just as being uh, on the other side of it? Great question. So when it comes to that, um, I chose it because in 08, 2012, multifamily was the strongest asset class out there. And I said, that's a necessity. I said, that's where I need to be is where it's a necessity. No one can take it away. Um, And that's why I decided to go with multifamily. Right now, uh, I post on my social media a lot, but right now, in my opinion, uh, retail's at a recession. So that's why um, I'm not in retail because it's not a necessity. Um, but housing, it will always be a necessity for us. Right. That's for sure. Yeah. Multifamily people need a place to live and retail's got their own challenges, which they'll have to, which they definitely will work out. There's so much money in there, but it's, it's not as easy. When I speak to people that are commercial investors in the sense of not commercial multifamily, like we are, but commercial as in uh, retail and office space, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's a whole different animal when you're dealing with it much longer to lease out properties, much more expensive when it's not leased. You just, you might buy a strip mall with eight places in it or 10 places in it. We're buying a place with a hundred, 200 units in it. So the volatility is just minimized dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Um, so can you explain the structure of QC Capital? I know you guys are growing. You have a new acquisitions person you just brought on? Yeah. So we have a new acquisitions person we just brought on. We're super excited to have him on. He used to work for Marcus and Millichap. Uh, before that, he worked for Caldwell Banker. So he has a ton of real estate experience. Um, he's a hungry guy uh, looking to acquire um, and find new deals. So we're super excited to have him on. We do have an underwriter. Uh, we just haven't announced his name yet. And he's been working for us about six months. Um, but we have not did any announcements 
comments on him. We're keeping that under the radar um, because he uh, works for a large, large company in the multifamily space. So once we're ready, we'll bring him on. Wait, so how do you guys, because you, you handle mostly uh, capital raising. Is that correct for your... Yeah. So that's, that's my main goal is uh, capital raising investor relations. It was acquisitions, um, but I'm still very heavily on the acquisition side still. It's very difficult to do both of those. (laughs) It is. It is. So I'm slowly releasing it because I'm I'm big about relationships and adding value. And the reason why I wanted to have an acquisition specialist who used to be a broker is because he understands the ins and outs. um, And he will be able to build that relationship stronger with the brokers uh for multifamily because he used to be a multifamily broker so yeah he can cement those relationships and then Correct. you can spend your time um and especially he knows exactly what they want to hear since he was That's on that right. side before. <laughs> <laughs> uh how do you handle deal flow and underwriting your team everything goes so you have it now it goes through the acquisitions person then down to your underwriter and you guys review it that way do you have anything yeah. special Great question. So we have a specific criteria that we follow when it comes to um, just preliminary research of our um, acquisitions or any deal flow that comes across our desk. And once it hits that preliminary criteria, our acquisition specialist will then input it into our deal flow list. Because we don't live in one, or my acquisition specialist lives in Charlotte, my underwriter is in the Texas area. Um, Because we all don't live under one roof or have one roof just yet, we use a Google drive sheet, which is very beneficial because we all can see who edits it and what they edit. Um, so our acquisition specialist puts it in the Google drive sheet. We have a documents tab where it has the OM rent roll T12 taxes, anything that, uh, comes with that property goes in the documents tab. And then our underwriter goes ahead and underwrites that property, um, from those documents and inputs the data in there. Once, uh, the data is in there, just on an extremely conservative standpoint, if it meets our criteria, then we'll all go ahead and have a Zoom call just like this uh, to discuss each property um, and when the offers are due and to ensure that we've contacted the property manager and ensure we contacted our lender and our insurance guy to make sure our numbers are correct, our performance correct, and we can move forward. So when you guys are evaluating deal, let's, let's go into that. Like, what is your criteria? What do you guys are looking for um, when looking at a deal and what is stuff that you're going to stay away from? Yeah, great question. So we focus over 100 units, uh, primarily B assets. We are looking into A and A, uh, A, A and A minus assets um, in the large uh, cities in MSA. So we're looking heavily focused on Raleigh, Charlotte, Greenville, South Carolina, Charleston, Atlanta, Georgia, Orlando, and Dallas. Those are our major markets that we're focusing on and the MSA. So that's what we're, um, that's our basic criteria right there when it comes to it. It has to be in a, in a great location. We always look for a Starbucks, a Target, a Chick-fil-A um, around that uh, location, depending on what state or uh, city it's in, um, because those are some large companies that have done a ton of research research when uh going when uh putting a franchise out there so yeah they've done more research than we'll ever do and correct uh, so <laughs> i'm gonna hop on their back a little bit <laughs> whole foods is another one that we look for as well i'm not sure if you mentioned that but that's the same thing yeah, that whole, yeah. starbucks whole foods yeah we look at whole foods starbucks and chick-fil-a we were looking at earth fair um but unfortunately when like i said with retail earth fair is closing its doors which is like yeah. a whole foods uh here in the carolina so uh but yeah those are our major um retailers we look for also Publix um and yeah. harris teeter especially here in the carolinas because those are the little higher end grocery stores. So that will tell us the demographic and the area. 
Yeah, Publix definitely for being in Florida for uh, where you're looking in Orlando or really anywhere in anywhere in Florida. Uh, so when you're um, you guys have your team together, your team is kind of spread out a little bit where you have some of your underwriters in Texas. How important is having the team with what? How you guys are syndicating now? I mean, would it even be possible with uh, with what you guys are doing? If you didn't have your team in place, it, it would be very, very, very hard. And you can hear me stutter on that. Um, it'd be very hard um, because right now we're analyzing over 12 deals. And um, I, I used to do that all by myself, um, underwrite, um, analyze the deals, tour the properties, talk to the brokers. And it was a lot on top of marketing all over social media and investor relations. So it's definitely been a, um, some weight lifted off my shoulder. Um, but I uh, am a perfectionist. So I want to make sure that the relationships are being um, um, being creative and being um, structured properly and strongly with uh, the brokers. So I'm working very close with him uh, to ensure that happens uh, and making sure with our underwriter that uh, we are underwriting conservatively and to ensure that we're hitting our performa. Yeah. One thing I want to circle back to is that you were saying that you guys are looking, obviously, B plus, which is a main, a lot of syndicators look for that, oh, yeah, but you're also yeah. going into the A minus A class. Um, first of all, can you, oh, if yeah. you could define them as you guys see them for where you are, mainly in Charlotte, or in the Carolinas, and uh, can you explain why you're moving into that class and yeah, great question. So um, A class is in, uh, anywhere a uh, year um, within 10 years or within 12 to 13 years. Um, everyone has a difference uh, uh, when it comes to it. But A class uh, for us is anywhere from 10 to 12 years newer um, in newer construction. B class is after that. We really don't like to go anything um, after 1990. So we like to stay in the 1990s and 2000s when it comes to it. The reason why we're going for A-class, and I'm seeing this a lot, and I'm seeing a lot of uh, operators that are not experienced in this space that are doing this, um, which worries me for them, is that they're going ahead and purchasing properties at 200 a door, and they're having renovation budgets per doors at like 10000 So that leaves you at like 210 a door, but you can go down the street, and that's a 90s type of product, but you can go down the street and buy a 2010, 2015 type of product for 215, 220 a door. So that right there just doesn't make sense to me because at the end of the day, when you hold that period, when you hold it for the next five years, that newer type of product's going to be worth more and you'll be able to sell it to a larger institution to pay more uh, than that 90s type of product. Yeah, the A class, I mean, you'll have people that say B and B plus are institutional, but I think, you know, when you're getting into real A, that's where A minus A, you know, B plus as well, but in that area, like the A's, that's where you're really having institutional money come in. Like life insurance, what we're saying is like life insurance companies coming in um, that are paying cash for it, you know, that are just setting money aside that need to make, you know, 4% or whatever. Oh yeah. And um, it's like their exit strategy for that. So it's, it's amazing how you said that between, you know, it's so expensive because there's so many people now trying to do the value add in the B's and obviously the Carolinas and Charlotte being so, such a, a big market that people are paying that much over 
what it might be. You know what I mean? It might even be. Oh, cheaper, I agree. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you look like we're analyzing a couple deals right now that are, um, main, a lot of them are over 2000 actually, but, um, there's some that are 2005 to 2012, mm-hmm. uh, that we're analyzing and they still need value add, you know, from our, from 2000 or 2020, we feel that anything that was 2005, 2010 is outdated. So mm-hmm. there still needs some value add to those particular properties. Um, but, uh, they are newer type of properties, but you know, maybe not a heavy lift from a seven to 10,000 per unit, but you can do a two to 5,000 per unit and still um, walk away with a increase of a hundred to 200 per unit um, for rent increases. What, um, what, if you're, if you say people are purchasing something for 200, 210, 215 out the door after their renovation, what is yeah. something like that normally renting for? Great question. Yeah, that um, that normally runs for. I saw that when when speaking about that, we're seeing that a lot in Raleigh is around that two hundred a door. Uh, we haven't seen that for B assets here in Charlotte just yet, um, but in Raleigh, that's what we're seeing. Um, and they're renting anywhere from a two bedroom uh, around thirteen hundred to six or fifteen hundred. Um, three bedrooms around uh, fourteen to seventeen, and one bedrooms are around eleven hundred to thirteen hundred in that ballpark. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's, um, all right. Wow. That's, it's a little lower than, you know what I mean? It's, uh, is that before that's after your value add? Um, yeah, that, it, okay. that's, yeah, that's all depends. Um, I, that would be in, in my opinion, after the value add, uh, that's okay. what it would it be in that ballpark. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you guys are very competitive up there in your market. Oh, we're extremely competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, we, um, the, how competitive is that no matter what you have to put hard money down. Um, and it has to be, if you don't put a minimum of two to 300,000 hard, then you're, it's going to be very difficult for you. Can you explain um, that? Deal. Yeah. Great question. Yeah. That's great. Cause a lot of people don't understand what hard money is. Um, so hard money is your earnest money that you're putting down and uh, what hard money means is it is non-refundable. Now, you can have it non-refundable day one, or you can have it non-refundable after your due diligence period. Uh, if you really want the deal, you're going to have to do it day one, um, and that's what we do. We, we do hard money day one. One thing I dislike about putting hard money down um, is that if or anything that comes up during your due diligence, you really limit yourself to negotiation for a retrade because the seller already has your hard money. So it's going to be extremely hard to negotiate for a retrade. So before you put hard money down, make sure you walk that property. Uh, If you have to walk it multiple times with the broker or have your contractor out there, do so. um, Because if you're just going to throw down hard money, you're going to take a big risk. If something large comes up and the seller's not willing to do it, uh, you're going to take a big risk and it can uh, hurt you. Right. Yeah. So the hard money, just for listeners, um, the hard money you also see is like he said, earnest money, which is like you'll see in blogs as EMD, earnest money deposit. And then you'll also see um, the other thing you're mentioning as well in regards to- When it comes to um, limiting your negotiation. Yeah. So retrading is just doing the renegotiation. It's a industry term for that. Yeah. So so if something comes up during your due diligence and you're like, okay, well, you know, I didn't know about this. So I'm going to go back to the seller and try to knock a hundred thousand off or try to get them to cover for this certain expense. Um, It's, it's much more difficult to go back to them because Mm -hmm. they have, 
your non-refundable deposit of a couple hundred thousand. So they're like, okay, well, <laughs> you know, go ahead and walk. I got your money. Um, but as speaking with brokers and coming from a brokerage background, if you have 500 to a million down, which I have seen before, I've lost out on deals when they put 1.2 down hard day one, um, you're going to lawyer up. Uh, if okay. something goes south, you're going to lawyer up. And those brokers and sellers know that. So the sweet spot is between two to 500,000. Okay. So that's like 1%, 2% of your purchase price probably? Yes. Okay. All right, cool. So which is, it's just pretty normal, but it's just not normal that it goes, it goes hard so, so fast. Yeah, I know. So um, where do you see where you are right now, where we are in the market yeah. cycle, and especially in regards to the Carolinas? Um, what do you think you see for the next 12, 24 months? Um, I love that. And- Great question. Great question. And I, I love it when I get asked that. One reason why I got into multifamily and for the listeners, if you remember right when we started this uh, podcast, I said it's a necessity. So housing is a necessity. We, we need it. Um, I just posted an article on my social media saying more people are renting. I, I woke up this morning and had an investor text me the article um, saying, you're going to love this. And more people are renting. Um, no one wants to own a home now. Uh, people, that's not the American dream. The American dream is to become really financially free and not live in debt. Um, so more people are renting now so they can check out different cities and jobs are transferring them. So where I see the market for multifamily in the next 12 to 24 months is still very, very strong because it's a necessity. Yes, we may have a dip, but look at 08, 2012. That was a single family recession. And between that recession, uh, multifamily went from 96 occupancy to 92% occupancy. Um, so it only had a 4% vacancy uh, before. And then right when it happened, it had a 6% vacancy. And even during that time, A class was strong, B class was strong. Everyone needs a place to live. So it's not going away. Retail, in my opinion, is going away. I'm seeing it more and more. Um, Macy's is closing stores. I'm seeing a ton of people close down shop just because Amazon took a big hit with all of them. Everyone's shopping online. Um, You have to deliver if you're a company now, but online shopping's where it's at. No one wants to go in stores. The The only store or mall that will only be open uh, in the future will be luxury stores because people still want to go and try on a Louis Vuitton purse or they want to feel Louis Vuitton or Tiffany diamonds. They want to see that and feel that. Um, So the luxury malls and stores will be, uh, will survive in my opinion, but all the other ones um, we're in a retail recession, but multifamily very strong because it's a necessity. Yeah, for sure. I've also seen that Best Buy is having smaller stores now where you can actually oh, pick they? up your properties and stuff or pick up your, your items and your products much smaller. So I'd love to pick up my properties. Pro- <laughs> it's that easy. <laughs> just go and pick them up. Um, so you can like, it, it's just a different way of people. They wow. not the whole big box anymore. So I don't know, imagine what products they have in there. I imagine it's your very high end products. And I agree. You can also just pick up your you know, you can pick up whatever you're buying from there. Uh, I went in. Week. I went in Best Buy to look for a certain thing for our uh, for our videographer and for the videos that I do. And I saw the price. I went on Amazon right in per, right in person and saw it ten dollars cheaper, and it will be delivered tomorrow. And I just bought it right off Amazon. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that's uh, they. You have to adapt with change. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't watch TV much, but when I do, I watch it for commercials. And the reason why is because I want to see how they market to people. And I noticed that. Um, uh, a, a pizza company that never delivered started delivering now. 
because yeah. you just have to, you have to do that. You have to market, you have to move with the market or your business is, is going to go out just like Macy's shutting down shop. Yeah. It's amazing. Places that never would deliver now do deliver or have the access to it with all this, you know, Uber with Eats all the, yep, and all yep. delivered. In. So oh, it's, sure. it's such a, a super, a super niche that's growing. That's right. And like you were saying before with multifamily, I also think that people just don't want to be tied down. Yep. You know, we heard from years back, you know, our parents, our grandparents had one job or two jobs and now we're going to have seven or eight or whatever it might be. And people younger than us probably more. So they don't want to be tied down if they're working in the city for two years. Yeah, you know what I mean? You're right. And um, have to sell that house, do that. And they also want the, all the amenities that come with it. Like you said, how close can I walk to a Starbucks? Can I walk to a Publix or to a, you know, a supermarket? Can I, you know, so that's, that's awesome. Right. Yeah. Those are very important things to look for when you're looking at property. So you, uh, I know you do a lot of, you do a lot on social media. You talk, you do a lot of conferences. I know I'm seeing you in yeah. a couple of weeks for a conference out in Colorado. Yes. And, um, what, what do you see when you're speaking to new investors? Uh, what do you suggest them to do um, if they ask you how they should get started? Maybe it's not syndicating because yeah. that's a, a pretty big leap for someone to take money from someone that's never done it before. Oh, yeah. But, and don't do, don't do yeah, that. I, I mean, you know, get your experience first. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the biggest thing is educating yourself. I educated myself. It took me like uh, before I even got into multifamily syndication, it's seven, eight months of education of what I didn't even know what syndication was. I was like, what is syndication? Um, but it took me around seven to um, eight months to really get the grasp of it. And coming from a real estate background, um, what I'm a big believer and uh, anything you do, um, I'm a big believer in following how the military trains our soldiers and the first week of uh, you know going into the military what they do is uh, it's called hell week and they tear down your brain mentally and build it back up into a soldier so I'm a big believer in that and that's why when I left single family and was making that transition I tore my brain down from the single family industry lingo and all that and I built it back up into the multi-family industry um, to help educate me in multi-family and before I even got into it I was listening podcasts like yours. I was watching YouTube videos. I was reading books to understand everything um, because it is a big business. It's a scary business for a lot of people. Um, and then I decided to find a mentor and a coach to limit my mistakes and to guide me through the correct path. So that's extremely important. Yeah, no, for sure. What, what do you see with investors Eve, let's say they've already started and yeah. um, maybe you have deals that get sent. I know I get deals all day long. They get sent to me to oh, look sure. over, just see what people are trying to raise money for or people mm -hmm. are looking to buy. Uh, what mistakes do you see people making um, in this, in this, let's say for instance, now and then also in this market cycle? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm seeing it more and more. Uh, mistakes people are making is ex not understanding the SEC regulations um, mm -hmm. and uh, that they are no joke to play around with. Mm -hmm. um, so I see that more and more is not understanding that. So I would highly recommend um, if you don't understand it, get with an attorney um, at a conference, um, speak to them over the phone, start reading um, books on it, start listening to podcasts, start um, educating yourself on it because that's the most important aspect of it in my opinion is you want to make sure you're doing everything properly um, and you're not stepping those boundaries. Uh, so I see that as a big mistake. Uh, sometimes, I mean, I, I get a friend request on LinkedIn and every time someone friend requests me, I reach out to them um, and I have to, they have to have mutual friends in common. If we don't have a lot of mutual friends in common, I won't accept you, um, but I'll reach out to them 
try to connect with them over email and then the phone if it will be very beneficial for the both of us. But I get some messages that we have tons of friends in common. So I'm assuming, you know, they're well grasped in the industry and um, they're trying to sell me a deal over LinkedIn. And I'm, and I'm like, well, what, what type of deal? I mean, you're just trying to sell a deal or you even, do you even have an SEC attorney? You know, what proper per steps are you taking? Um, you know, and sometimes I try to help educate them and say, look, you need to go ahead and consult an attorney because, um, I don't want you to get in trouble, you know? Um, so I see that a lot and it's happening more and more as the syndication name is being thrown around and that, uh, it's getting more familiar with everybody. Yeah, no, that's for sure. And just for, just to clarify for listeners as footnotes is, um, so with the, at, with, with raising money through syndications, there's two different, well, there's two different exemptions. As we say, there's one for certain investors that are high, high net worth or high income called the credit investors. And there's mm -hmm. one that is just like, we're talking, Chris and I are friends. We have a prior relationship. If we want to raise money through that, we could, but I can't go if we have a deal like that and put it onto Facebook Correct. and I can't put on the LinkedIn. I can't just contact a random guy online and ask him to invest and um, people are doing it today. And with so much buzz around syndication, it's even worse. That's a, that's a thing that I feel is probably one of the biggest ones that I don't hear when I interview people. They usually are saying about the different market cycle and stuff like that. But this is something, and just to let you know, if one of your partners, you're on a deal with like seven or eight people and one person does it, they look at everybody. It's oh, yeah. not, so you have to know exactly who you're partnering with and make sure that they understand what's going on. And also they have a very good attorney that's reiterating this to you and saying, and, and getting into this space save some money aside um, because these attorneys not cheap. I mean, <laughs> I had a, a attorney charge me a thousand dollars for 12 questions. So they're, they are not cheap. Uh, so be sure you have a nice little safety cushion set aside for if anything happens like this. Um, and I know as you grow your company, you may not have a lot of funds and that happens, but you have to make smart decisions then. Um, and you have to educate yourself um, with those, um, with that, that journey that you, you go down. Um, so no issues arise. And then when you grow a large company, like we discussed before this, you can have people on staff. Uh, so if any issue comes up. Yeah. The other thing too, is that my, uh, SEC attorney that I work with mainly, he, he'll actually come on to the deals too. So once you have a track record, if you don't have to put out money on future deals and you know, you can also bring them on as a general I partner and you can also give them some equity in the deal and that saves you on putting upfront money out of your pocket. So there's so many different ways of cutting it, but you're not going to be able to probably on your first time contacting SEC attorney, be like, I've never done this before. I don't do anything. It's, I want to give you, you ownership. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They'll probably just be like, I'll just take the $15,000. But, uh, <laughs> but um, okay, great. Yeah. So I want to, uh, yeah. How can people learn more about yourself and QC Capital? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, you can reach out to me at Chris underscore Salerno underscore on Instagram. Um, I'm heavily on social media. If you'd like to join our closed Facebook group to network uh, among like-minded individuals, it's Mindful Multifamily Network. And we also just created an academy, the Mindful Multifamily Academy to help new syndicators get into the business um, or investors understand more about syndication. And that's only $1.99 a month. So nice. Also giving away my uh, underwriting template in there. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's probably worth it just to just, just by for itself. the template. I know. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Anybody that's getting involved with syndication, they have to learn with any type of real estate investing. You have to learn exactly what you're doing that's and right. uh, do it yourself before you take money from other people, please. I agree. I agree. But um, okay. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today and uh, look forward to touching base with you next couple of weeks when we meet up in Colorado. I can't wait for it. Thank you so much and safe travels out there.
Thank you. You too. Yes. Thanks. Hi guys, this is Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in investing in real estate and you don't know where to begin, set up a free 15-minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com. That's schedulecharles.com. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.